Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host attorney Rodney Dowell here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys in their practice, especially solo or small firms. We're glad you could listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, Director of the Massachusetts Law Office Management Program, offering free consultations to Massachusetts attorneys to improve their business practices. You can find out more about our program at www.masslomap.org, and you can find one of our many articles about law office management at our Mass Lomap blog, The Law Practice Advisor, masslomap.blogspot.com. There you will also find our blog role featuring the best law practice management blogs in the country, such as my friend David Belinsky's Thoughtful Legal Management. Our guest today is a friend of mine, Channing Migner, who practices law in Worcester, Massachusetts, with a focus on workers' compensation, social security, and personal injury. Channing, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Hi, Rodney. I'm glad to be here. Great. Channing, I first met you through the Massachusetts Bar Association's Law Practice Management Council, and we've gone to several ABA tech shows together. I also enjoy speaking with you about ways that you're working to make your law office work more efficiently. As a practicing attorney, you always impress me with your cutting-edge adoption of new methodologies that work for you, your clients, and your staff. Based on our discussions, I know that you are a proponent of using practice management software, Needles in particular, that you use digital dictation and scanning, that you have an excellent website and have created an extranet where clients can find information about their case. But I have to say, I was most amazed when talking to you about the fact that you're outsourcing work to India. So just to set the stage for this discussion about outsourcing work, can you tell us a little about the firm, uh, the number of attorneys and staff that you have in your practice areas, and how it all fits together? Sure, Rodney. Um, I'm a solo practitioner. I do have one attorney who works with me of counsel, and I have a a paralegal and a legal assistant um, who acts as a receptionist in the office. Plus, I have someone who um, uh, is my assistant offshore in India. So how did you first get involved with outsourcing work to India? Well, um, four years ago, uh, at that time, I had been uh, with a uh, partner in a different firm for 10 years, and we had gone our own ways, and I had developed a solo practice. My interest at that time was to transition away from a paper-based practice to, to one that was more electronic. And I was trying to root around to figure out strategies to do that, and uh, in the process of that, I uh, hooked up with a uh, my uh, outsourcing partner in India. And how, how was was it that you were just searching for an outsourcing partner, or was it something that you intended to do, or uh, how exactly did you end up meeting your your partner in in India? Well, just to step back, my yeah. when I first when I first started the the process of. Um, Becoming electronic, it was a daunting task, and I realized I needed some help. We tried to do it in-house, and we were scanning all one summer, uh, document after document in cases. 
and I happened to uh, see some invitations online on the internet for uh, assistance in outsourcing. So I called a few, and I interviewed some uh, some of these outsourcing partners, and I tried one out. Uh, was pleased, and then the relationship began at that point. So the initial work that we did was to really organize the electronic practice, the electronic uh, documents, I should say. Um, I really didn't know how to approach that. Uh, and as it turned out, the outsourcing uh, uh, company really had, had a lot of experience in that, in that way, and they, were help, they helped to, uh, um, to work with me uh, to find out what my needs were and to help uh, come up with a good solution in my practice that would make things flow well. So it sounds like this was a company that was established and already working with other law firms in the United States? It was, and I didn't know it at the time, but uh, their their experience here domestically ended up helping me a lot in the particular need I had uh, for their services at the time. And were you concerned when you first started exploring this about finding a company that you could trust? And what what kind of uh, you know indicators of trust were you looking for to make yourself feel comfortable with this using a uh, company in India? Well, I, that's right. I, I was pretty darn skeptical. I had never done anything like that. So um, I asked lots of questions, as lawyers do. And, and then at some point when I started feeling more comfortable with the answers I was receiving, I I simply got references from attorneys here in the States, and I called, I probably called three or four, and I talked to some lawyers, some solos and some in larger firms, who had done work uh, with this firm for some time and, and had good experiences. So based on that, I, I decided to give it a try. And I, I think at the time, we did it for oh, probably a, a week with some specific assignments on a, on a, on a pilot basis to see if the work product would meet my expectations. Um, and it did, and then we continued on, and the rest was history that, that full year. So just based on your experience and talking to other attorneys, do you find that a lot of uh, solos and small firms are using these outsourcing uh, companies, or is this something that's mostly being used by large firms, to the best of your knowledge? I think it's larger firms, uh, as far as I can tell. I've, I've not met um, many in this local Boston market. Uh, individuals who have used them. Although when I've talked to individuals about it, they seemed intrigued, but I don't think anyone has taken the plunge yet. Yeah. So how do you manage the work uh, since we're basically, I don't know, 10 hours time difference? Uh, it sounds like you would be asleep while the work is being done in India, probably. Well, the first year that was true. I, I had um, The first year's work was primarily organizing documents, and it worked well. We 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 would scan during the day. I think that summer my teenage kids needed work, and I put them into service. So they would be scanning uh, all the open files in the office uh, every day in some semblance of order. And then at night, when we were away from the office, the uh, outsourcing team would, would work those files electronically and organize them. So you're right. We worked days, they worked nights, and when we came in the morning, we had um, a lot of work done for us, and then we would start over again. But that, that project really was self-limited. We, we probably finished in, in nine months to a year with all of the work um, that I had envisioned. And then we stopped using them for the better part of two years. Um, I just didn't... I was able to maintain the system myself without that assistance after a bit. In the last year, year and a half, I've recontracted with them, but it's for different work. Um, so now... The assistance they have is, is a day shift. So we go into work, and they're 
they're pretty much on the same shift we are. So it works. It works really well. Oh, really? That's interesting. So what kind of projects are you using uh, the outsource uh, company for now? Well, now I use it for my all my dictation. Um, while I have um, a staff secretary who could do my dictation, I find it, it it's much better for me um, to have the uh, uh, staff person in India do it for me. My secretary will, will check spelling and, and uh, certain diction and so on, but primarily the the grinding out of the dictation is done there. So that's one key piece. Um, we use the um, outsourcing service for some routine phone calling, getting getting medical records on a follow-up basis, getting um, uh, medical bills from doctors, sometimes rescheduling appointments uh, with the court, things that, that uh, aren't client-centric so much, um, doing a lot of projects such as um, uh, putting together very extensive medical record exhibits that would be very time-consuming here, um, and things of that nature. So um, uh, it's a variety of things now that we use. Um, I'll call it, it's really a paralegal who works now as one person, and, and she is uh, uh, a back-office uh, India paralegal. The other thing that she does, too, which is relatively new for us and it's working great, is she since she's trained in needles, which is our uh, database in the office, client management software in the office, um, uh, she's able to um, update that database with um, the newest um, changes in clients or attorneys or, or or the court contact information. So if someone moves, um, she's able to note that and put that right into our database without our staff having to do that work. So um, it, it's a very effective system. So that's a range of the things that we now use um, the, uh, the staff offshore paralegal to do. Well, that's uh, quite a range of, uh, of projects that the person's working on that's, uh, you know, basically a half a world away, including, I, I thought it was interesting that you say about inputting information in your case management system. Uh, for example, for something like that, are you using a virtual uh, network where she can get right into your network, or does she have a, a product that sits on her desk and then syncs with yours, or how are you handling those kind of uh, computer networking issues? Well, she has um, a direct line into the office through the internet. So just like I'm, at, I'm in actually my home office right now speaking to you, uh-huh. so in, the, in the same way that I can log on to my office in Worcester, she does that through um, the same means I do and logs on to the office in Worcester from India. Uh, and we can, we can log on simultaneously through one, through one portal, so there's no bottleneck either, so it works out well. Well, that that sounds very very convenient. I, you know, and when what I guess was kind of fascinating to me about this was uh, my basic knowledge about outsourcing was that it was kind of a large. I, I saw it as a large firm phenomenon where they were using it for cheap document review and maybe some simple research and so forth. Uh, but so, how would you suggest a, a small firm or solo? I mean, if they're really looking at, at adding some. Uh, outsourcing. Where do you think it's most effective for small firms and solos to use these services, at least initially? Well, um, I've, I've been tempted and I've done some experimenting in the areas that you suggested, doing some research and some writing, and I've been pleased with that. Um, but in my practice, uh, it's more important to look at um, the organizational side. So the paralegal is not 
working so much as a technical person. I think what I would do to answer your question is if I were um, considering um, outsourcing as a as a part of a solution in my practice, I'd, I'd take a hard look at really what my my areas of practice were, number one, and, and how I could bring to bear um, an additional staff person in the most effective way. Um, uh, I have have had um, demand letters done by the uh, paralegal offshore with, with a fair amount of training, um, and uh, that works well, but because... Um, uh, the, the vocabulary and the language is a bit different, although she's an excellent English speaker. Um, some of the terminology is not familiar to her, so it takes a bit more training than if, than if it were someone who was sitting right in the office and we could have a direct conversation in person. So those, those are some of the issues. I, I don't know that I've uh, answered your question um, exactly, Rodney, but um, I guess it would be taking inventory of, of what your needs are. And, and, and what you've, it sounds to me like what you've found is that, uh, you've been able to, uh, find the ability in this outsourcing to meet very, uh, a, I guess a broad breadth of different needs that you might have in your law office. Well, one thing that I've, I found over time using the staff person, and I guess it's not any different than if the staff person were sitting in the office, if I can give that staff person in a variety of things to do rather than just one task and repeat it all day long, uh, yeah, she's more productive and the work is more interesting. So we try to mix it up. We try to give her some things that are routine because routine things need to be done. And we try to give things that are going to be more uh, detail-oriented and require some thought. Um, and uh, she really likes the challenges when they're, when they're presented that way. So, um, so it's an interesting uh, experience for, for all of us. One, one of the, uh, the staff members in the office um, in Worcester has primary responsibility for managing the paralegal's workflow. So we, we try to give, through that person, uh, different assignments and have her monitor in the quality. We, we have a, a timesheet that we get uh, every week so we can have a feel for how much time it took to do a particular project and, and whether that person's um, uh, efforts are being well used or, or not. Because that's one of the hardest, hardest things initially was how are we going to monitor the productivity. So it's been a... It's been a bit of a learning curve, but I, but we feel fairly confident that we have a handle on that at this point. So you feel like at this point that you have a pretty good handle on the management uh, of the expectations and uh, the productivity. Yes, we did. One thing we did, you know, I guess I could mention this by way of a suggestion, is when yeah. we initially worked with our our paralegal, um, both the first first tour of duty <laughs> four years ago, but more particularly now, is we actually created a. Um, um, a user manual, if you will, so, as we went, so that we were very clear as to how the work was to be done so that, that that person overseas could really have something to read. If there was any question, um, uh, they knew exactly how we wanted things done and uh, followed it. Um, and it was actually fairly easy to develop that because we had the paralegal develop the manual herself as part of her job. So as we were talking to her, she would take very, very detailed notes and send back a report reflecting how and how we wanted certain tasks done, and we were able to fine-tune those instructions. And that became the instruction manual, something that she actually created for us. So it was kind of interesting. Well, that's great. I mean, it, and it sounds to me like you actually have mentioned in this instance, you know, two excellent management tips that would apply whether you're managing someone overseas or right in your office, which is one to g provide them a. a 
broad range of work so they stay interested, both the routine and the interesting, and also the creation of uh, of user or you know procedures and protocols to make sure that uh, things are done in a consistent manner. Um, but let me ask you this: uh, Did you have to undertake any substantial changes in the structure of the firm or the operations or technologies to make this work effectively? Um, we we really didn't. We we had. I mean, other than other than to have this um, this management piece put in place so that so that we could have the um, um, the guidelines written down. But but beyond that, we already had uh, remote access um, uh, available. For the firm, um, I think one thing we did was we, I think we had actually changed to a voice over IP phone system, not because of this, but we had done it coincidentally, and that and that made the, the work so much easier because we could be um, using um, the overseas uh, staff and their phone service where we couldn't do that easily before. Um, and the second thing we did, which seems pretty straightforward, is we we created an, an email account for this person so that. Not only could she make calls, but she could interact through through electronic means as as a regular staff person would here in the office. Um, simple thing to do, but it plugged her in. Um, so I wouldn't say a whole lot of changes had to be made in that way, but we were pretty advanced already. Um, we were ready to to go in that direction. Now. Uh You've mentioned several times the need for training of the individual. I mean, and you obviously have done some training with your case management software, Needles, and it sounds like you've had to do other training. How did you go about training someone that's halfway across the the world? Well, we had several um, WebEx sessions where we would have the the paralegal log into our shared database in the office. We would sit in the conference room and we would demonstrate um, our version of Needles, how we had organized it. She was familiar with Needles as well as other case management software programs, but but really didn't understand precisely how we used ours. And Needles is fairly customizable. So we had two or three sessions of an hour apiece over several weeks, answering questions, demonstrating how how we did certain things. And it, it made that made it very easy, probably no more difficult than if the person had been a trainee right in the office, we would do the same thing. So that was that was very helpful, pretty straightforward. Um, and just to follow up on that piece a little bit, in terms of the training aspect, um, once we were very comfortable that she could handle our needles uh, installation well, she became a user. Um, and in needles, every staff person has has a place in the needle system. So I have I have one, my paralegal has one, and this outsourced um, backup person, India has one. So so she became responsible, I'd say, about a year into the second tour of duty here, you know, sometime early this year, was actually performing routine tasks that come up uh, through the needle system quite independently of our assigning things to her. So uh, that, that has really helped out tremendously. But that took a bit of time, so we all felt comfortable that she would understand the tasks, could perform them, but... In the needle system, it also allows us to monitor her productivity. We can do we can run reports now to find out how efficiently she's using needles. Uh, so it's been a real boon. That's great. Listen, uh, Channing, uh, we need to take a short break now. So uh, when we return, we'll speak more with Channing Migner about outsourcing work to India and how it works for small firms. 
you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to the Unbillable Hour on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dowd, joined by Channing Migner, solo practitioner from Worcester, Massachusetts, with a specialty in workers' compensation, social security disability, and personal injury. Channing, we were just talking uh, further about uh, the, your uh, use of outsourced labor uh, at the uh, at your uh, firm, and I wanted to just go back a little bit. You, we've had a pretty broad-based discussion here, but how would you summarize the benefits to you, you and your firm uh, for outsourcing this work so far? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One is that um, we've been able to free up some of the staff physically in the office by having some of the work that's more routine um, taken off their backs so that they can focus on more technical work and work that, frankly, will be more productive in terms of generating revenue for the firm and also providing um, uh, ongoing uh, client contact and client service. So that, that's been a, uh, a very large benefit. And as a practical matter, we've been able to add the staff without increasing uh, the size of the office space. We have a relatively small office, and if we had wanted to bring someone in physically to the firm, it, it would have been more expensive and it would have been um, a bit hard to do. We would have had to shoehorn that person in. So both of those things have been a, a, a delightful outcome of, of having this arrangement. And just um, for the listeners out there, what kind of, what words of caution would you give attorneys who may be looking to follow you down the path of outsourced labor uh, and what um, particular areas they may need to be concerned about as they do this uh, uh, if they if they decide to follow you? Well, I think one is to carefully evaluate the offshore offsite employee, both uh, both the company that person works for and and the employee themselves, um, sometimes it, it can be hard to determine their competency, and you don't want to waste a lot of time and money training someone who, who just isn't effective. We had that experience one and once, and we, we asked for someone else, and we were much happier with a replacement. Um, we have some concern about, oh, perhaps minimizing that person's visibility. There's a certain, I think, sensitivity you have to uh, respect and in today's market with so many people being uh, uh, unemployed. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's just an issue. Um, uh, training can be harder when someone's off-site, so you, you really have to make sure that you, you have the right person um, and put things in writing where you might not have to do that so much if the person was uh, with you face-to-face. And um, 
again, like I guess like any other interview process, it's good to screen and to and to do your due diligence to make sure that you feel confident that you you have the right person before investing in the training. Probably what I'm saying is no different than it would be if they were uh, right in the office, but um, it, it takes a bit more work. Uh, and those are the words of caution I would have, but it's well worth the, uh, the reward if you uh, if you find the right person. Um, one thing I'll add is in the company we, we use, uh, there's actually always a supervisor on hand, so if the person's out sick or if there's a problem, we can go to a supervisor who will monitor the situation and have it remedied immediately where, where I don't have that luxury with someone right in the office. So those are some things, Rodney, that come up for me to, uh, to mention. So both words of caution and one of the uh, benefits is just the ease of uh, replacement in case of a sick sick uh, time or some other, something else keeping a person out. Right. And one, one thing that in this particular company, and, and it may be broadly true in the industry there, but the, um, the paralegal that I'm talking about is actually a, a trained licensed attorney um, in, in India. Which makes it helpful because the, the communication level is that much more robust. I don't have to be spending a lot of time explaining terms. Uh, um, having said that, uh, there's a real interest in doing more more interesting and variety of work than a, than simply clerical work. Although they're perfectly happy to do that if that's all your needs are. Well, that's great, Channing. That wraps up this edition of the On Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. A very special thanks to our guests for joining us today. Channing, always a pleasure. Where should our listeners go if they want to find out more about you and your practice? Oh, well, thank you for having me today, Rodney. Um, my, uh, my website is www.worcesterlaw.com. That's W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R-L-A-W.com. And uh, they're free to call me at, uh, at area code uh, 508-792-6060, and my extension is 112. And I'm at 44 Front Street in Worcester, Mass. Pleasure being with you today, Rodney. Well, thank you. And listeners can find out more about me, Rodney Dow, at masslomap.org, and follow our blog at masslomap.blogspot.com, and on Twitter at Rodney Dow, where I hope we can continue this discussion in 140 characters or less. Remember, you can also find this podcast and all Legal Talk Network shows at www.legaltalknetwork.com and iTunes as well. I hope you will join us again on the next on Billable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast with attorney Rodney Dowell. Join us again for the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. 
with programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.